Discover Ag is brought to you in part by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of the Discover Ag podcast. Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavorik, a rancher from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer from New Mexico. And together we bring our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space. So you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed you. Natalie, I get to see you this week for the first time in like months. I am so excited. (laughs) There was a story I was watching the other day of a mutual friend I follow online. And she's talking about how hard it is to leave her kids and kind of struggling with that. And I messaged back and I was like, don't ask me for advice. I am so stoked to leave this weekend. (laughs) I am so ready for a little like Tara and Natalie time. I know this is the longest I've gone without seeing you in like a year and a half plus. Like I haven't seen you since February. And what's so wild about that is it feels like eternity because I'm used to seeing you once a month. But like my friendships in real life, like they're so hard to schedule time with people. Like I am going out to dinner with my girlfriends this week. We have not gone out to dinner together since December. I mean, I've seen them around, but like even though you and I are as far apart as we are, I get to spend so much more time with you. Like it's hard to schedule adult friendship time. I don't know. Oh, oh, I totally agree. I feel like when you're in your natural setting, like your, you know, everyday life, you get so caught up in all the little things that you're balancing, whether that's being a wife or a mother or mostly things around that, your job. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, oddly enough, it is easier to, I feel like see people further away from you. Like I have friends in Nebraska that I see when I go to conferences and events more than I see just in every day. It's bizarre. I feel like real life adult friendships are just like a never ending. Like I've seen this meme before that's like, we're going to get together again real soon. Like I can't, we should totally plan something. And it's just like, and you see them like in passing, like especially if your friend or if your kids are like the same age, but you don't ever like get the chance to sit down. And so I think that is like one of my favorite things about our friendship is that we do these, you know, work trips, but we actually like get to spend a ton of time together. I don't know. It's wild. I think that's something that would shock people too, is actually how much we see each other in person. Like if we went through last year and told them how much we saw each other, I think they'd be shocked that that's the amount of times we did. Oh, I completely agree. It actually kind of even shocks Daniel. Like he brought it up recently that I was saying like how I hadn't seen you in so long. And he was like, you guys live like 1400 miles apart. Like you don't see each other. And I was like, except for when we see each other, we like are in the same hotel room. We're eating breakfast, lunch and dinner together. How often do you do that with your girlfriends? Like in real life, it's like very rare. It like, I feel like it extends to um, like women conferences. Like I know like cultivating courage. Like I think that's what's so powerful when you put like women all in a group together is how often do you get that chance to just spend that kind of time together are you noticing my subtle sips of my culver's cup i'm not even gonna talk about it i was gonna ignore it you're just sipping on your culver's cup i was gonna make a comment about the conferences filling our cups since i'm drinking out of a culver's cup (laughs) 
<laughs> they do fill our cup. But uh, yeah, today is May 4th, or this podcast is coming out on May 4th. Uh, so today is the day. Today is the day to go to Culver's and get some custard and support ag education in your local community. Yeah, we've shared this pretty much every week leading up until today, you guys. Culver's Scoops of Thanks Day. Go out to your local Culver's. You donate a dollar to Ag Education. It stays local. And in return, you get their yummy frozen custard that Tara pretty much drools over every single time. I wish we were actually recording live on the 4th so that I could eat a Culver's in front of you. Oh, if you were eating, you know, like my weakness is fast food cheeseburgers. Like that is my favorite thing. And then add Culver's like custard on top of that I would be fuming except for we're gonna be near a Culver's tomorrow so I in Austin so I think I'm gonna make you make our uber pick us up from the airport drive us to Culver's and then drive us to our hotel I'm along for the ride I think that sounds great okay good no protests for me good 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 All right. So before we get into our first article, I want to take a moment to highlight another one of our sponsors, Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is American Meat Delivered, and they have been changing the way people buy meat since 2018. One of the reasons that Natalie and I both love ordering Good Ranchers online is that they are 100% American. All their meat is born, raised, and harvested here in the United States, which makes it really reassuring to know that when you place an order with Good Ranchers, you are supporting American farmers. I know how important that is to so many of our listeners. So make sure that you place an order with them. We also love that they price lock your rate for two years. It's basically inflation proof meat. And that for every single box purchase, Good Ranchers donates 10 meals to families in need. With summer right around the corner, it is warming up here. We had 85 yesterday. It is the perfect time of year to change the way you buy meat. Head to GoodRanchers.com and use our code DISCOVER for $30 off any box. So that's this month only. Our code is worth even more money. So go to goodranchers.com, use the code discover and get $30 off your box. I see your subtle flex about the weather in my face. I laid by a pool yesterday. It was 85 and sunny and gorgeous. It has been so windy here. Oh, it's been windy here too. Don't, don't worry. Oh. But it's just hot wind. <laughs> it feels like a blow dryer on your face instead of a... <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. Who doesn't <laughs> yeah. want that? I know I felt bad Luke wanted to uh, hang out with us have a virtual FaceTime yesterday Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to like flex that we were too exhausted from laying by the pool sorry Luke (laughs) that is hilarious I wish you would have Oh, all right. Diving into article one title, Saudia company draws unlimited Arizona groundwater to grow alfalfa amid drought. Farms in Western Arizona are growing alfalfa, one of the most water intensive crops in an area where there's a shortage of water. Some foreign farms are foreign owned and are shipping the crop to Saudi Arabia, where it's illegal to grow because it takes too much water. So this article, I really think that There is issues here, but I do think where I want to start with this is that if this was a different foreign country, I don't think it'd be making headlines the way it is. I think because this is Saudi Arabia and it's a Middle Eastern country, it's a little bit splashier of a headline. So I'll disagree a little bit. I don't think it has so much to do with Saudi Arabia as it does with just foreign ownership. So I agree. I think it's making headlines because of foreign ownership. I think if it was China it would still be a problem. I think any foreign name besides US, you put a foreign name, they're taking our water and then shipping it back. I think it causes an uproar. So we've kind of talked about this before, but the top three countries that own farmland in the United States are not like China or Saudi Arabia. It's 
Canada, the Netherlands, and Italy. And I just, like, then why don't we see them in the news? Like, why don't we see Canada buys another farm in the United States? I think that's where I... I don't know if I disagree with you. I think it would still be making headlines. I just think it's splashy. If it had been China, I think it would have been just as splashy. I think it just, it depends which country it is on how much of an impact people like care about it or not. Okay. I'll give you that a little bit because you're right. I mean, 3% of our land is foreign owned. People see this title and they think this is it. This is the instance it's happening. Like it's not going on or taking place in any other, you know, part of the States or happening at all. It's like, foreign ownership oh my gosh and then they get really scared and nervous and really dive into it and it's like this is happening everywhere (laughs) and not only to us but we are doing it elsewhere so people who want to point a finger at Saudi Arabia it's like put that down because we have four fingers pointing back at us I pulled it up and um 126 of the 195 world's countries have bought or sold land internationally. China ranks as the most active country, purchasing land from 33 and selling to only three. And then we're second. U.S. is buying land from 28 countries and selling to three, followed by the U.K. So, I mean, this is for better or worse, we're a global marketplace. Yeah, it's also not shocking news because I've seen articles going back to 2019 about Saudi Arabia buying farmland in California and Arizona and Argentina. Like, this is not new news, even though it's for right now making headlines. And we talked about this back, like you said, in episode 73, because we did dive into actually like China and foreign ownership. And we didn't really get into this in that episode. So I kind of want to talk a little bit more about it now, because I think when I saw this article, I started asking myself, why don't we regulate against this? Like, why is this happening? You know, why is it important that states allow foreign ownership? Because if you look it up, um, we talked about how there's no federal government that's regulating U.S. agriculture land ownership, but states, there's actually none of them are prohibiting, like complete prohibit on foreign ownership. Like there are states that have, you know, a handfuls of rules that are trying to regulate it, but there isn't a lot going on in terms of trying to regulate this. Also, I just want to thank you for once again bringing the podcast episode numbers of our back podcast. I'm always like <laughs> referencing. I know I always do that. So thank you for giving the actual number. Um, no, I agree. There's not a lot of state regulation, but I do think it's because it's not as simple as just like doing a ban. Like this affects a lot of countries. If we say you can't buy farmland in the United States, like then other countries are probably going to say we can't buy farmland there. And as you mentioned, we're high on the list. Uh, I do want to mention, though, I, I briefly teased at this, but I feel like one of the things that people maybe don't know is why we're sending alfalfa to Saudi Arabia. And so the world's largest dairy farm by volume is in Saudi Arabia, and it has a production of 1.47 million metric tons per year of milk. That volume is similar to the total milk production in Indonesia or the total milk production in Norway. It has over 100,000 dairy cows. And so that is where this alfalfa is going. Sounds like a small family farm. Very small family farm. (laughs) I think that's part of the conversation, too, is that this, you know, corporation owned not only this foreign ownership, but it's like a large, you know, farm instead of a small family farm. But I don't know. I just it's like you said, it's really hard to regulate this. I actually look into a law in Nebraska that tried to pass this in the 80s. It's called Initiative 300, I-300, and they tried to ban corporate farming and it did pass. And then it eventually got revoked. It got pulled back in the early 2000s. And I didn't dive too deep into it, but there was obviously consequences 
of you know banning the corporate ownership that the state felt that they needed those larger operations and that foreign ownership to like play a role in the economy. Yeah, I think this will be interesting how it does play out in politics because just over the weekend, the attorney general, the state attorney general for Arizona rescinded a pair of permits that would allow this company um, to drill more wells. So they wanted to drill some thousand feet wells uh, in the water table and pump about 3000 gallons of water per minute to irrigate this forage. And so they canceled a couple permits. And I do feel like that was like, the start of it. Like, let's see what happens. I also think a lot of these politicians are using it to get like a stance, have a stance, get something for people to rally behind and get elected. And it actually goes into our next article. So I won't totally get into it, but it's absolutely like, I, I don't know. I think they found something like they can get people to rally behind and they're going for it. Well, and you just brought water up. So I think we should dive into that because I do believe that the first contention point of this headline and this issue is the foreign ownership. I believe the second reason that this is like trending and causing such a outcry is because of the water (laughs) we're all on the cusp of a drought (laughs) like we're entering water crisis and anytime you can put water in the headlines i feel like it just turns people's heads really really quickly i agree and i'm gonna i have one comment i want to say before i move into water and then i have lots to say about water is u.s farmers export crops to saudi arabia too alfalfa so i think that's worth noting like we're sending our own crops over there as well but yes water is probably the big splashy headline that everyone's looking for as well in this so pun intended yeah oh my gosh look at me being so punny (laughs) i love it (laughs) um they bought this company bought some land and lease some land and the land that they're leasing they leased for $25 an acre I don't really know whether that's good or bad or where that falls in Arizona's markets Uh, and they have a total of 6,000 acres and the issue is is in this valley they are not regulated on how much water they pump so they it's not like water rights where they get a certain amount and they are regulated on it the cities in arizona are regulated but a lot of the rural areas from the research i was doing are not regulated so they are allowed to essentially pump as much water as they want and i think probably it seemed to me what really people were honing in on is the leased land from the state so they were you know that that headline the unlimited water supply from arizona that they're just not charging them for that water they're using and it's Arizona state water. Yeah. So this is where I feel like I can, as always see the pros and cons and like both sides of the situation. I think that it would be hard to stomach probably driving. If you're in an area that is drought stricken and there are fields that are obviously dry and barren. And I don't, you know, I haven't been in this area to give like paint the picture, but If you have a contrast between, you know, one field that is not obviously, um, you know, lush and green, and then you drive by and you see this alfalfa and you know the water that is being pumped into it, I think it is hard for some people to stomach from like a visual component and that idea of like allocation of where we're putting our water. But I'm also not naive enough to think that if that water wasn't going to the alfalfa crops, that it would just sit there. Like you cannot tell me that... Phoenix, the fifth largest city in the world, wouldn't be trying to get that water for themselves or they wouldn't be putting up like a resort that's pumping it for like a golf course or a swimming pool or like whatever it is like that water isn't going to just sit there, in my opinion. 
Um, no, no, you're right. Legally, it cannot sit there. Actually, Arizona, like most Western states, um, the water rights or the use of water is use it or lose it. And so either you put water to beneficial use or you will lose it. So if you were a farmer that was like, oh, I'm going to not use as much water this year, if you don't use your full amount, you risk forfeiting your water rights for the next That's year. That's crazy. And so I think in my mind, it's like, okay, let's revoke these permits. Let's just say we're not uh, doing foreign. Are these permits actually going to go to American farmers? Or like you said, are they going to go to the cities and right. it be used for like municipality? 68% of all water in Arizona does go to agriculture, which I think is worth noting. So, you know, ag is using water, as we always say, to grow food that we all eat in the cities and in rural areas. And so if you could like, I mean, yeah, I would love to see more family American owned farms as well. I just don't know that if we take away their permits, that's what's going to happen. Well, and this isn't, I feel like just unique to Phoenix or Arizona. I actually, we had a disco that messaged me on my personal page and was talking about how this is actually a huge problem in Oregon. It's like the same thing that's happening there. So it's just like people fighting over water everywhere, whether it's the farm involved or not. And that was actually a concern. We talked to a area farmer, which we can get into kind of that conversation in a little bit, but his big takeaway from this was he hates how there's put more fear of the farmer because of this. And I do agree. It's like instilling more fear. Yeah. I also think there's like a little bit of a war on alfalfa right now. That's like another component to this. Like Utah, you mentioned Oregon, Utah. I uh, gave a speech there. And one of the things they wanted me to hone in on was about how farmers who are growing your alfalfa are under attack. Like this is, it's happening in a lot of states. It's fighting over water. People are really scared. You know, we're in a drought in most of the West. It's, you know, I don't even know if we can continue calling it a drought or if this is like our new normal, that it is just very dry. But every little bit of water is being analyzed of who is using what and where it's going. Alfalfa is, I mean, I was having a little bit of a conversation with Luke about it, just growing it in Arizona in like a drought area. And again, there are pros and cons to it. Like they're growing it there because they get over, I read that the average um, amount of uh, rakings was uh, 10, 10, I believe. Yeah, they can get 10 cuttings off of it. Yeah. And I mean, here we're doing three, maybe, and grazing it. And back home, my family's ranch is probably doing two, you know, so that's a drastic, like, it's a very productive crop when you get in an area like that. And Luke was also talking about how high of a quality it would be because they wouldn't be fighting with a lot of the other weather that other states do when they're growing it. And so on one hand, it does make sense to grow in a place like Arizona where it can, I mean, it's a pretty powerful forage plant for animals to feed off. Like it's a really high protein. And so just a little bit can go a long way. And so I see the pros of raising it in Arizona when people are like, why are you raising it there where there's no water? Yeah. And the local farmer we talked to actually mentioned that like, and it grows for years and years. So you're thinking about, you're not, you know, you want to talk about like conservation and environmental, you know, you're not sending tractors out there every single year. You're not replanting. You have a constant cover, like a crop on your land. There's also like a lot of benefits to that as well. And it's a pretty like um, salt tolerant crop. So if you have like saltier water, saltier soils, it is a crop that can really thrive. So again, yeah, it's not, it's not a bad crop. It's actually a really great crop. Mm -hmm. I think <clears throat> I'm going to end us on like a cliffhanger of a conversation we could absolutely take in like another 20 minutes, but I don't think we should. But I think when I like step back and look at this article from like a whole, I personally do not have as much of an issue with a company like this one. What is it? F uh, how do you say it? F Fontomonte. No, that is not right. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't ever make me pronounce things that I don't know. I will just make things up. <laughs> anyway, they I have less of an issue with them and foreign ownership and what they're doing, where they're growing, leasing. I mean, because the area farmer even talked about how they're upholding like the local economy in that area. I mean, he said and kind of spoke for local farmers in that area that they don't have a real big issue with this going on, those local farmers. Like it's not really affecting their water. They don't, they have great relationships with the people that are managing it. Um, So I have less of an issue with this instance than I do with foreign ownership of almost like a segment of the industry, which would be like China owning pigs in Smithfield. (laughs) So like people who want to, you know, cast all the stones and really get heated about this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think we have bigger fish to fry when it comes to foreign ownership in agriculture. I agree. If you're going to be in an outrage about one thing, you need to be in an outrage about all the other things. Like we have we're doing it's a global market as we always say there's import and export of all sorts of things all sorts of products like if we're gonna really get in it like get into the nitty-gritty like what about the technology that's being you know exported to other country what like so many things it's just crazy what people get riled up about and what they don't i know the farmer was like if you want to get mad about this you know as everyone's sitting on their with on their cell phones wearing their nikes and i was like i'm literally on my cell phone wearing my nikes right now Right Natalie now. was like, hi, it's me. I'm I am person. the problem. <laughs> I think uh, the most interesting thing about this will see will be to see if it um, affects policy, whether that's state policy in Arizona, which then ripples out in other states following. But, you know, Arizona has, as you said, rescinded the um, drilling p- permits. And then I believe they're also talking about trying to um, consider like a ban on foreign owned farms. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what Arizona does. And then um, if other states follow suit or um, start taking the charge on it. Yes, I agree. I also think that it'll be interesting if instead of doing all of that, if they put some restrictions on how much water you can pump, like make yeah. it where you have to submit, you, you get a certain amount of water, you have to submit records for that. And that I think would actually solve many of the issues here or you bought water from the state of Arizona so Arizona would be raising money through their leased land that you know it costs money to pump that water all right well enough about Saudi Arabia and Arizona let's move into New York City and horse carriage rides this was an expose it was not a news article I guess and we actually saw a couple we're gonna focus on one from Barstool Sports but we'll also reference um, one we saw in the Washington Post that was about elephant rides and so I think as you said earlier this is just kind of trending in the news about animals for entertainment and tourism but this expose piece is titled stop taking rides in the horse-drawn carriages of New York City it was obviously written by someone who lives in Upper West Side And she started the article by talking a little bit about how wonderful a place and New York is to like walk around and sightsee and just, you know, exist, really honing in on the beauties of Central Park. And then she quickly transitioned to kind of the juxtaposition of what she called the, quote, blatant, disgusting and downright inhumane treatment of the Central Park horses. Let me just start by saying the author of this was very problematic for me. I almost felt like she was, I don't know what the right word would be. Like, it's not racist, but she was like said some pretty mean things about people in the Midwest, um, scamming off of some brain dead Midwest pasty bleep family at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And that was just one of her many, many, I don't know, references to people not living in New York, that they were like stupid and that this was, like the fault of all of the tourists coming into New York. 
So I don't know where I want to take this because two things pop into my mind when you say that. First, I guess we'll try and address them both. I do think this is interesting that you started that way with an issue from the author. Cause I do feel like it was kind of stirring the pot, right? That, like to me, this is a New York city problem. And I, and maybe that's naive for people for us to be like, we don't live there. It's not our issue. Turn our head to like what's going on there. Like some people would say like, shame on you, like remaining silent about issues. Like if this is animal abuse, remaining silent about it is just as bad as, you know, condoning it. Um, but I asked kind of Luke about it cause I always ask him about our articles and I was like, Hey, what do you think about horse drawn carriage rides in New York? And he looked at me so confused. He was like, I don't know. I plead the fifth, I guess. Like he was like, what are you talking about? What's going on? And I was like, well, there's kind of like some controversy about them, like from a humane animal humane standpoint. And he was like, do we have to have an opinion on everything? You know, like, do I have to know what's going on in New York city and address it? And like, like, where do you draw the line? And like, I just want to live in central Nebraska and exist and not have to care about <laughs> what's going on on New York city. Because I do think the second point that came to mind for me, I do think that new, people in New York city are not the ones paying for their rides. And so I do think she's a little bit right in saying that these people coming out are the ones that are like, Oh, top 10 things to do in New York city. Let's go on the horse ride. Like, I don't think it's New York city residents that are, paying for this and condoning it in fact they're the ones that keep trying to pass a law to ban it and for some reason it will not get banned i agree and disagree with you because i i think the reason i disagree with you is because i don't think that this will just stop with horse-drawn carriages like i just think that this was this charge was led by PETA to remove these we all know PETA's agenda and i just don't like i just think then from there it will move on to something else denver has horse-drawn carriages um you know charlotte's north care what is it north carolina has um carriages too like so you're making a funny face if you're watching on youtube i, <laughs> I think I it's south know. carolina <laughs> okay south carolina thank you i think you're right anyway there's lots of other places and so i just think well, it does not impact me directly at all. I have taken a horse-drawn carriage through Central Park. So, hi, this time it's me. I'm the problem in this situation. But I guess then that gets into the point of, like, do you, like, what's your opinion on it? Like, what what do you think? So, I have visited New York City, and I did not take a horse-drawn carriage I'm not ride. surprised so, by that at all. I am not the problem. Um, but, no, I agree with you. I mean, I literally wrote down in my notes give an inch, they take a mile. And I think that's my concern with it. Obviously, as always, when we talk about issues like this, we do not condone animal abuse. There are some like TikToks, not TikToks, Twitter videos, short form videos, maybe it's on TikTok that are kind of hard to watch. Yeah. Of, you know, horses down. There was one in August, 2022 that I think really was like a tipping point for people. It was, you know, the horse collapsed. It was not pretty. And the poor driver, I, I am not going to point a finger at how to handle that situation. It's kind of like when you're a parent in the store and your kid's throwing a temper tantrum and you like pick them up and you haul them out and you're like, shush, shush, shush. You know, it's like no one handles those kind of situations when all eyeballs are on you. Really great. And to have an animal of that size that you're trying to get up. I mean, there was a lot of comments about like whipping and slapping and like yelling at the horse. And I'm, I'm, I was not there. I'm not going to say the handle, the driver handled it right or wrong. It is a hard video to watch. So I don't condone that, but I am worried that we get into the point where people are making laws about animal welfare that don't truly understand animal welfare. In this article, the writer, she wrote, I pulled it out. The horses have no quote playtime. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I think there's this, for people who don't understand the, um, 
what's the word productivity use of animals maybe or like work use of animals i think they assume that if a animal isn't just out at pasture walking around it's abused like that that is the thing the animal should be doing is absolutely nothing and for me and my personal belief as someone who utilizes horses on our ranch that could not be further from the truth for me so I, I do worry, like you said, that this ripple affects outwards. But if the horses aren't being treated properly, got to stop. Yeah, I mean, I compl- I have to agree with you there. I feel like at my core, I don't have a problem with horse-drawn carriages in New York City or in any city or that. I don't have a problem with that. If the horses are properly cared for, like, right? Like, that's at the root of this. But I do agree with you. Like, I, we, so I put this on the Disco, um, the Discover Ag Instagram page, and a bunch of discos like wrote in, and I will tell you it was very polarizing. Like, th- people are either like, it's okay as long as the horses are being cared for, or it's not okay. And they are like hard stance against it. And one of the discos wrote in and was like, I just don't see how this is any different than horses being used on a ranch or cattle dogs being used to round up cattle or monkeys being used to collect coconuts. Like, and referring back to that um, article and podcast that we did, if all of the animals are being cared for and in this, you mentioned the playtime. I don't know if you read this where she was like, the horses get, um, where is it? five weeks of vacation time a year and that was not enough for her <laughs> i'm sorry like i'm just i'm kind of spe- speechless i don't even want to say and it made me worried as a dairy farmer which our cows go dry for multiple months out of the year so they are like quote unquote on vacation i guess is what you call they would just they're just hanging out they're just doing what they cows i don't know naturally do that's dumb i hate i'm even saying this but it just made me think are at some point are we going to be like oh how many paid days off do your animals get does your cattle dog like get to take a break like i just was like where are we going with this where is this headed oh i don't want to do this but i need to circle back something to our first article because that's what the local area farmer said too he said he has a problem with the state coming in and issuing or revoking water from you know the saudi arabia company because like where do they draw the line if they can Mm. stop it and take it away from that company who's to say that when it is replaced by a local family farmer that it won't then 10 years down the road where they stop the local family farmer from having the water too. So sorry, I just had to no, I'm glad revert backwards. I'm so glad you did that because it's, that's how it is with all of these, all of these regulations, all these laws where it doesn't stop. And it does, it goes back to the other article where, where do we say like, Oh, well that's good. Like that's where we're going. And I think that you mentioned like the, um, the article that we also read about elephant rides, like, and I said, camel rides, like it just keeps going. And I don't, I don't know where you would stop it. I do think it's important to note that there are laws that in place currently for these carriages and horses. So it is, it is a regulated industry. They have, you know, certain hours they can work. I believe there's temperature regulations. There's like laws passed. There was a new one passed in 2019, I think that kind of regulated it. And I also thought it was really interesting because this law does not pass. It has been brought up by almost every single mayor as a point going back to when you said in the first article, it's like a, a thing for politicians to stand on to get votes for. Um, I believe every single mayor that comes in office or whoever it is always says like, we're going to ban horse, kide, horse carriages and then it never happens. And it's because this local union work that represents the horse-drawn carriages are adamantly against it. And they claim that the American Veter- Veterinary Medical Association, the American Association of Equine Practitioners and the New York State Veterinary Medical Association have all endorsed Central Park's horse carriages. So you have multiple large organizations who, again, understand welfare, understand animal, you know, husbandry a lot better than just a, you know, 
Upper West Sider is going to understand <laughs> and they all approve of it. It's just really hard when I haven't like walked through the stables myself to give my personal opinion on this. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up the stables because that was part of this article too, is that these horses do not like go off to a farm when they're done. That was an issue she had. They actually live in stables in a high rise in Hell's Kitchen, which I don't know. I don't know if that was the actual name or if that was like a punny reference. Oh, no, that's like a section of New York. It's like a neighborhood. Hell's Kitchen. Oh, see, didn't know that. It's like a borough. Don't they call them boroughs? Yes, I've heard that term. Okay, yeah. I, I feel no, like I I'm resorting back place. to my gossip girl era. And I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard boroughs. <laughs> I'm like, what does sex in the city call it again? Or law and order? <laughs> I've, I'll brush up on my law and order tonight for you guys. Our references for this article are... Our but New you know York what this goes movies. back to I think that actually goes back to exactly what you said a minute ago and at the very beginning this lady is not a horse expert and she's writing an article about a horse we are not New York City experts do we get a say in this like I have more faith in like the agritourism board and like I don't know the the union of New York the the veterinarians in New York all of those people making this decision. Not even, not. I don't even want to say the people of New York. I mean, yes, they should get a say, but I think the people of New York should get a say, not the animal activists of New York either. Like, is this something people who live in New York that are just regular people care about? Or is this like New York City PETA representatives that actually care about this? I think what the last thing I want to bring up is there, you mentioned there are other, like New York isn't the only city in the US doing this. Um, and on the other hand, there are other cities that have gone before New York City and have banned it. So Salt Lake City, Chicago, um, Palm Beach, Key West, they've all banned horse-drawn carriages. They actually referenced uh, Mexico, like Guadalajara, and a couple big uh, Mexico cities have um, banned it altogether. And I think it would be really interesting to go to those people who have banned it and get their viewpoint, right? Like hindsight twenty is twenty twenty or whatever that saying is. And I would be interested That's to hear, same. are those people... <laughs> good nailed it are those you know workers happy they made the change or do they wish they would not have like is the city happy they made the change or does the city wish they would not have like why aren't we seeking counsel from people who have had a role of that industry in their economic tourism and then stepped away from it and like seeking counsel in that manner i agree the last thing i'll say is the author also said that we're all fat and horses shouldn't have to carry us around anymore so on that note, let's move on to our third and final article. Uh, before we do that, you guys, we want to give a um, shout out to um, all of you guys and just say thank you so much for tuning in, um, for leaving reviews. We so appreciate it. And do not forget that every time you do that, if you take us on social, if you share an episode, if you um, rate us in the app, you're entered for our end of month drawing to send you guys a little giddy goof. Uh, goodie gift bag yeah <laughs> that was a rough a tongue twister <laughs> so as you're listening if you guys enjoy discover ag please share it with a friend or share it with your um social media family yep anything else besides yep <laughs> i was gonna say something else but you look like you were headed straight for article number three didn't want to interrupt your flow i was just gonna say we will be sending out our box for april this month and it has some really cool like unique creators designers like we try to find really custom things for our giveaway so um the lucky winner will be announced this week only the finest for the discos yes for sure 
All right, title. Post misrepresents safety of protose protecting solution from APL. California-based APL Sciences markets that its plant-based solution can keep fruits and vegetables fresh and at their prime longer, and that it's edible too. But social media posts are distorting the safety of that product, known as Edipeel, by conflating it with an unrelated cleaning product that shares the name Appeal. I mean, you're the one that keeps texting me about how fired up you are about this article. So why don't you give your opinion first and I'll just roll with it. I am so fired up. I said this is the first time I think I've ever come to an article on the Discover Ag podcast and not seen both sides, kind of weighed the pros and cons and been like Switzerland in the middle. Like I am fired up about this. I think it's absolutely wrong. I think it is terrible that we have a product, which we'll get into the uses and all the minor details about it, that can help solve food waste, which we will get into about how big of a problem that is. And then we have, I'm sorry, that don't have the right to insert themselves into the conversation that are causing more problems than benefit, that are spreading false information and ruining both of them, the company and our steps forward for food waste. Yeah, I think it's worth noting, like the post that the lady, the social media post that was posted, there's a blog, they're completely false. What she's saying is absolutely lies. She literally took a safety warning from a cleaning product that has the same name and put it on a post with Bill Gates, which he is actually like not even that involved in this at all. Like he was like a small grant a while back for the company. Like it, it he is not like... CEO of this company or anything like that and just was like oh don't don't do this and it it goes back to those like grabby headlines like put Bill Gates in it say it's killing you put the word organic in it like and there you go voila viral sensation that is completely false yeah so they definitely overstated Gates role which again like headlines right if we want to instill fear in people connect gates to our food system which i like i'm not the biggest gates fan don't get me wrong like i have a lot of issues with bill gates but in this instance i do think that he's like he's not the problem he shouldn't even be part of the conversation they received a developmental support from the bill and melinda gates foundation in 2012 and 15 it would believe it was like a hundred thousand dollar research grant like bill gates might not even have known i mean maybe he approves each and every single one of them maybe melinda approved it i don't know maybe the person below them that's like the ceo of the gates foundation approved it maybe bill gates didn't even know that was awarded i mean, i'm sure they have multiple research grants that are going out this person applied for it and got it like end of story bill gates is not supposed to be part of this conversation one of the things that i did know is that meta flagged it and it is flagged the post now is flagged as being like false and it was maybe the first time in my life I was like, yay, that's what that flag should be for. This is absolutely, completely false, made up. That's what the meta flag should be for. But I have Meta's, lots of problems with the meta flag. <laughs> Meta's on the right side of history for once, not, for not normally. Once. And I'm like, can we use meta flag in that way that, that this is absolutely false and, and it's really like holding I don't know progress back I don't know if that's where we want to go next with this is like this product is actually really cool and kind of impressive yeah so the way it works is it uses plant lipids or plant oils naturally found in fruits and vegetables and then creates a coating applied to the surface of the fruits and vegetables in order to retain moisture and reduce oxidation so I I agree I think it's totally cool mechanism of action that they are putting on these fruits and vegetables like I applaud them I think this is amazing again why I'm so fired up about these 
misleading posts that are, as you said, stopping progress. Okay, my turn to step in and come at you guys with all the food waste facts. I actually sat on a panel last week about food waste, so this was very coincidental timing. We waste about one third of all of our food worldwide. The United States waste 330 million pounds of food every single day. 30% of food at the grocery store, so it has made it to the grocery store, is thrown out. 30%. That's crazy. And the most wasted foods are potatoes, bread, rice, bananas, apples, leafy greens. And guess what this product helps with? Apples, avocados, those kind of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, everyone should get a pit in a stomach. I feel like when you see the effects of food waste, uh, food waste was a country. It would be the third largest producer in the world after the United States and China. I also think it's worth noting when we talk about food waste, I saw a lot of stuff that was like, well, China is the, you know, the largest contributor to food waste followed by, um, I think it was India. That is true for the total population, but the United States throws away more food per person than any other country. And I think that's actually a much more important statistic than the total number, because that means we are wasting more as individuals than anybody else. Hashtag frivolous. Also, this product, another great thing about this product was um, helping reduce plastic waste. It can be used instead of like a plastic, because a lot of things are now put in plastic to protect them. It can be used in place of that. So not only are we reducing food waste, we're also reducing plastic waste. Like, why wouldn't we be excited about this product? I read a blog post from one of the, I would consider her an instigator. I think she, she didn't have a huge following, but I believe she created one of the posts that got shared a bunch of times. So she somehow inserted into it and she's a food blogger and she was talking about how she'd rather have more plastic than eat this coating on her fruit. And I was like, okay, Kristen, like, do you even read what you're writing? She is the problem. I, I want to use that. And now that we've used it in everyone, like her, it's her. She's the problem. Article uh, three, it's you, Kristen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, that lady, you sent me her blog post and she quoted the food babe. And I had to just yeah. die on the inside that she quoted the food babe. I'm blocked by the food babe. And I'm actually in a support group on Facebook called People <laughs> Blocked by the Food Babe. And I, one Wait. of those people, I do not want to roll on by this. How long have you been part of this group? That's kind of insane to me. <laughs> I what goes on in there? Me. It's just we share posts that we've all like when people get blocked, like she blocks anyone who says anything about her that's wrong. Listen, there's like hundreds of thousands of people that she has blocked because they've called her out on being wrong. And so it's just funny to see the post of like what she blocks people for because it's all facts and she like has none. <laughs> so well, and going, I mean, what you just said, it's facts and it's interesting to see. I do not understand why people are so upset about this product. I mean, if you remove the uh, chemical hazard waste sheet, whatever it was that they attached to it, I don't understand what they're getting up in arms about. Like this blog post I wrote, she was talking about how it extends the life. So you don't know how old the avocado is. And I was like, why does I don't that know how matter? old it is now. I know. I don't understand. You're preserving it. It's like getting mad at canning and being like, oh, I can't eat that fresh jar of peaches. I can because I it's, you know, nine. It's like that is food. The point of food preservation, which is what we're doing here. They're literally taking out the moisture and oxidization. Like all you're doing is preserving it from natural substances. I wish people could see my, my I, facial I reactions. I was literally <laughs> about to say, go to YouTube right now. You get, Natalie's face when she is resting podcast is not great. Today, there is a lot happening on Natalie's face. Get to YouTube. I have the worst resting podcast face ever. I, you have to cover you, me up with articles all the time in our short form content. So this has actually kind of led me to a new soapbox I have about... Um, 
people inserting themselves into the food conversation, the food industry and creating fear un- unintended, whether I guess, uh, well, maybe it's intentional. Yes. Yeah. Unnecessary, unintended, whatever it is. Um, because we have enough of that as it is. And I feel like it should be our moral responsibility to try and just like, why are we inserting more fear into our food system? And that's what things like this do. And one of the ladies won't even take down her Instagram post. Like so many people have said, like, this is not like it's been flagged. Comments are in there saying like, this isn't accurate. This is actually a different thing. And she'll respond back and say, I said what I said. It's how I feel about it. I'm leaving it up. That's nuts. That's like the definition of insanity is that lady like being told you made a mistake and you can't own the fact that you, whether by accident or on purpose, it almost leads me to think maybe she did it on purpose if you won't take it down. Because if you, I feel like I'd be so embarrassed if I by accident grabbed the wrong hazard sheet for the wrong company and then became a viral sensation. I would have absolutely taken it down the second I found out that. So one last thing I wanted to mention about this as far as progress goes, um, there's actually really cool things happening in a similar way with milk. Uh, that milk is being turned into a renewable like plastic. Like, if you've ever poured milk out and you know how like around the cap it like, like, I don't know, there's like a film there. They're basically trying to take that and make that so it could be like a film on different fruits and vegetables or on just a, plastic in general. Um, and I, after reading this, I was like, can't wait to see the uproar about that. But I think it's great. I love that you work dairy in again. I think we'll, mm-hmm. we'll try and make it a podcast podcast goal to work dairy into every single episode i did it this episode mm-hmm. i was like i was surprised you didn't say anything on the saudi arabia article that you're like <laughs> of course tara mentions the alfalfa feeds dairy cows and then i even snuck them you know our cows going on vacation i'm like on a roll i was gonna say tomorrow when we're in austin i want to go on a mission to like a whole foods and see if we can find them appeal mm. label that and would buy be it so check it out fun. share and it if anyone goes you guys we love uh like discos in the wild so <laughs> if you are <laughs> sounds like a fun event but what i mean really is if you does. are out grocery shopping and you see these stickers you know tag us let us know your guys's thoughts on all of these you know topics and conversations we're having if you are out driving around getting a culvers today take us if you don't take us up in our horse scared rides though i don't you know, i don't want to like <laughs> go down that rabbit hole of controversy but all the other articles you know give us a tag we love to see it we love like connecting with you guys on that in that manner All right. That's all we have for you guys this week. Thank you so much for tuning in um, and playing part of this conversation with us. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. 